Radio Mano Papachango. Welcome to another edition of uh, Roma, tangentially speaking, subgenre, standing for ranting out my ass. These are the episodes where there is no guest. It's just me reading emails from uh, from listeners and talking about whatever the fuck comes into my mind. So if you're tuned in for the interview, uh, uh, this probably isn't what you're looking for. Those are just tangentially speaking standard issues. They come out every Sunday night, Monday morning, depending how late I'm up and how busy I am and so on. I'm Christopher Ryan, your host. And the reason I'm being a little bit formal is that um, some for some reason, I don't really understand the audience numbers for this podcast are exploding right now. And uh, so I imagine there are a lot of people listening to this for the first time. So I want to sort of welcome you and uh, and help you out to not be too confused. People who listen to the podcast regularly know there are these little subgenres like this one. There's Aroma, which is ranting out my ass, as I said. There's Toma, which is talking out my ass. Uh, that's how it all started. People are asking me to um, do special episodes where I told travel stories from my wild and wayward youth. So instead of dominating a conversation with a guest who's, you know, got their own stories to tell, uh, I decided to set those aside and do those separately. So I started doing those. I haven't done one in six months or something, probably. I need to get back to that. But anyway, uh, those are the two main subgenres. I, I was doing something specifically dedicated to music for a while, but I decided to sort of integrate uh, some of the musical stuff into the Romas and the Tomas. So anyway, uh, that's what this is. Welcome if you're new. Welcome if you're not new. Uh, and special welcome to those of you who support the podcast through patreon.com and or my Amazon affiliate link at my website. You can find my website by uh, going to tangentiallyspeaking.com, to chrisryanphd.com, to thatchrisryan.com. All roads lead to my website, and then you'll see the Amazon thing there. So thank you for everybody who supports the podcast. And the reason that sort of support is so crucial for this podcast is that I've been trying to keep it bullshit-free, commercial bullshit-free for a couple of years now. Um, so the only way this podcast receives any financial support is through donations from the listeners. No commercials. Occasionally, I've done a product placement kind of thing, you know, when a company sends me something that I really love and it's a cool company, I'll talk about it on the podcast, um, but that's all, that's all I do and that's totally transparent. So that's the idea. It's an experiment in, uh, I don't know, sort of new media. I don't know how new it is. A lot of people have, uh, you know, trying to do audience supported media and these days, where corporate power is sort of uh, corrupting everything from the Supreme Court to the Washington Post to, you know, 
I mean, I just mentioned the Washington Post because I think they're owned by Amazon now and, you know, the whole sort of independently um, controlled media model is under a lot of pressure these days when we need it the most. So in my very humble way, I'm trying to do something along those lines. Uh, Another thing I'm trying to do is ruin everyone's fun. So since it's Valentine's week, and I think Valentine's Day is one of the dumbest fucking holidays ever. Um, I'm going to ruin your fun by playing you what I think must be the saddest love song in existence. It's called Be My Number Two, and it's by Joe Jackson. Check it out. from there (laughs) you can imagine uh i won't go through the lyrics that's easy to understand those that's the classic rebound kind of situation uh we've all been there and if not you'll get there sooner or later um yeah you know there's there's love out of uh, a moment of strength in your life and there's love in air quotes and a moment of weakness in your life it's important to recognize the difference Right. One is enhancing, enhancing a a situation that's already wonderful and complete. And the other is trying to patch up uh, a situation that's uh, incomplete, fractured, wounded, whatever. And they're both important. They're both legitimate. But the difference is that uh, when you're complete, when you're feeling good, when you're you know who you are, Uh, then this thing we're calling love is about the other person. When you're not, when you're feeling wounded, when someone close to you has, you've just lost someone close to you or you're, you're, you know, battling some sort of terrible vulnerability, whether it's an illness or emotional situation or whatever it is, then this thing we're calling love is more about you. It's more about your situation, your need for safety, your need for shelter. You know, you're a, you're a bird without a nest just looking for somewhere to sleep. That's a different thing. We call it love. Uh, in fact, some people think it's the most intense form of love, but ah, I don't think it's fucking love at all. I think it's a search for safety. That's a different thing. Uh, okay, so let's read some emails here. This is from Sarah. You stated while interviewing the cross-country cyclist guys, that's a few episodes back, 
that the reason you didn't wish to have children is because you're torn over how you would raise them adequately and honestly. In other words, in the game or in the truth. <laughs> That's a interesting way to put it. She's referring to Neil Strauss's two latest books, I think. I understand your hesitance completely. However, for those of us who do walk the line of consciousness, is it not our responsibility to raise children who understand this divide from the get-go? It seems to me that our largest, most impactful act is to generate more self-awareness for the generations to come. As civilization continues, we exponentially lose the many years and decades of time it individually takes to mature into awareness. Is it our ultimate task to literally raise awareness, don't you think? Okay, well, yeah, this is very interesting. And, and you know, this gets into this conundrum I, I think I've referred to a few times uh, that I feel I face when I'm speaking with people who have children because... I was listening to, to an interview, um, Krista Tippett, I forget the name of her show, uh, but she does an interview show on, on CBC, I think it's distributed by NPR, On Being, I think it's called. Uh, anyway, she was interviewing um, uh, Barbara Kingsolver, who's uh, an author I really admire. If you've never read the Poisonwood Bible, holy shit, is that an amazing novel. She's a writer who Animal Dreams is another great novel uh, that I've read by her. She She's a writer who slips into um, magical language uh, at times. She, she's one of these novelists you're reading and you just stop and reread a paragraph again and again, just like you're basking in linguistic beauty. It's it's really something special. Um her talent. Anyway, uh, they were talking about a book she'd written recently where she and her family moved to Virginia and spent a year uh, eating only things that came from their immediate bioregion, uh, growing most of their own food, slaughtering their chickens. I think they might have had pigs. And, uh, you know, just trying to get that connection to their food that, um, you know, almost all of us are lacking. And uh, so there's a lot of talk about the ills of modern civilization and, and the sort of uh, disconnect we have from our own nature and the source of our food and, and so on and so forth. And anyway, they were talking about, you know, collapse and apocalypse and, you know, what's coming. And, and King Solver said, well, I have to be an optimist because I have children. And the other woman was like, oh, yeah, OK, I understand that. And then they just continued. And it just struck me how, you know, I've heard many people say this, but it struck me how it's accepted that you have to be an optimist because you have children. That's accepted as if it made sense. But it doesn't make any sense. You know, that's like saying... Uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's like saying, uh, I have to believe that, uh, Russians are evil because I'm American. It's like the situation I'm in dictates what I believe to be true. And to me, that's an admission of irrationality. You don't need to believe anything because you have kids. Now, 
admittedly, it's extremely uncomfortable to have kids and feel that you've invited them into a fucking sinking ship. Yeah, I, I acknowledge that. But that's not the same thing as saying it makes sense to conclude that you are going to be an optimist because you've had children. That, that's just a strange um, sort of cart before the horse way of thinking. But it's very common. And, um, you know, it's like saying I have to believe in, uh, I don't know, I have to believe that uh, there's one person for me in this world, you know, my one and only soulmate um, because I'm married. Well, I mean, I don't know. Is your spouse going to divorce you if you admit openly that, you know, there are probably thousands of people you could be married to happily? I mean, that's the fact, pretty much. I haven't seen anyone who's disproven that, uh, that, you know, we've got lots of friends. There are lots of places on the planet we could be comfortable living. There are lots of jobs that we could be happy with. But we choose to believe certain things because it reinforces the situation we're in. So I talk about this a lot in terms of presentism, what I call presentism, where we believe that now is the best time to be alive simply because it makes us feel good to be, to believe that we're living in the best time. So, well, of course, progress is real. Of course, it wasn't better 10,000 years ago because I feel better thinking it's the best time to be alive right now. God damn it. George Bernard Shaw said the... Uh, how did he put this? I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like um, patriotism is the irrational belief that the country you were born in is the best country on earth simply because you were born in it. I mean, you see what I mean? It's the circular reasoning that makes no sense. Or another example is people say, I wouldn't change anything about my life because then I wouldn't be me. And they think they're being really clever. That's not fucking clever. That's stupid. Charles Manson could say the same thing. You think he couldn't have improved a little on his life? Yikes. Anyway, um, this has nothing to do with Sarah. I'm not comparing you to Charles Manson, Sarah. Not at all. My point is that, uh, you know, once you've had children, then yes, of course, your responsibility is to raise them as consciously as you possibly can and to be as authentic with them as you can and as real with them as you can. I have, I have friends, I have this, this couple, really nice people, really cool. Uh, they have an open marriage and they have two kids. Uh, I think the kids are like 13 and eight or something. Super smart kids. Uh, and they have this open marriage. They've been married uh, 20 years, something like that. A long time. They've been together forever. There's, you know, it's super stable. They're really happy. They're great partners. Everything's wonderful. Here's the thing that weirds me out. When they're around their kids, they don't, like, they go out on dates. And, like, you know, dad will be home. Mom's out on a date and, you know, whatever. They cover for each other. It's really wonderful to see how it works. But when they're around the kids... They hide everything. And they they even go so far as to like, you know, they'll be saying, well, you know, uh, oh, she was out on a D-A-T-E last night. And then the kids are 12 and 8. They can spell. They know exactly what you're saying. It's like, <laughs> what do you think you're hiding from these kids? It's so ridiculous. It's this form of mental breakdown. I, I, I can't understand 
I see lots of examples of that around. Kids know what the fuck is going on. Even if they don't know explicitly, they feel it. And so if your depiction of what's happening in your life differs from what they feel to be true, what you're doing there is you're sowing the seeds of deep unhappiness and confusion in those kids. So anyway, again, this has nothing to do with Sarah. Those of you who are new listeners, you have to get used to this. That's why it's called tangentially speaking. We just sort of veer around chaotically, whether it's just me alone or it's me in conversation with someone else. It's all it's all spontaneous and uh, free flowing. So getting back to Sarah's email, yes, when you have kids, that's a thing. But here's, I found the, where is it? It seems to be that our largest, most impactful act is to generate more self-awareness for the generations to come. Totally agree with that. However, I don't agree that having children is the only way to do this or even the most... uh, impactful way to do this. I think teachers uh, who are authentic and real and straight shooters with their classes have a huge effect. I think aunts and uncles and neighbors and any adult who treats kids with respect and treats them like they're intelligent, authentic human beings, uh, not partial human beings, not incomplete human beings, which is the way we tend to look at things in the West. One book that I recommend to people all the time, especially anyone who is on the verge of having children or has young children, is called The Continuum Concept. It's written by a woman who went and lived with some hunter-gatherer people in Venezuela, I think in the early 70s, maybe late 60s. She spent a few years living there and um, was very attentive to the way they deal with kids and and the way um, children are integrated into society. It's, it's a beautiful book and very short, simple, sweet, not technical at all. She's not even an anthropologist. She was just a, a traveler who sort of got, you know, invited to join these guys and ended up staying there. I can't remember her name right now, but the continuum concept, it's a cult classic. You'll find it. Um, In any case, she makes the point that children are seen as, as individuals, as adults. They're not incomplete. They're young, but they're people and they have rights. And when a kid says they want to do something, that means they consider themselves capable of doing it. So if the kid says, I'm going to go swimming in the river, well, nobody's going to say no. They might you know, watch a little more closely the first time the kid goes swimming in the river in case they get swept away and somebody has to jump in and save them. But when a kid determines that they're ready to do something, that's when they're ready to do it. And if they fail, then next time, maybe they will be a little more, they'll calibrate their sense of when they're ready to do things. But what we do in the West is we remove all these learning experiences No, I decide when you're ready to do this. The government decides when you're ready to drive or drink or whatever. And so this sense of the sort of innate sense of of being able to accurately gauge your own uh, capacities versus the demands of the world you live in, it atrophies in us or, or it never even gets developed. 
it's sort of a hygiene hypothesis applied to uh, social development, emotional development, psychologically development, uh, psychological development. If you're not familiar with the hygiene hypothesis, it's a very simple idea, which is that by cleaning our environment and removing all the pathogens, all the germs, all everything, sterilizing our environment, we think we're making ourselves more healthy. But the problem is that our immune system only learns how to protect us by engaging with these uh, pathogens in the environment. So what ends up happening is, is the immune system doesn't learn how to distinguish self from other uh, by having these skirmishes with others. Uh, and so it turns against the self, which is why we have this explosion of autoimmune disorders ranging from asthma to MS. Some people, uh, some doctors argue MS is, uh, is clearly an autoimmune disorder and it could be related to this. Anyway, there, there are a whole slew of autoimmune disorders, um, allergies and, you know, skin conditions and all this kind of stuff uh, that arise because the immune system isn't properly educated. And the only way it's educated is by fighting stuff, fighting off potential infections and, and pathogens. So this same sort of thing can be applied to uh, the fact that our kids are living these incredibly sheltered lives. Um, they're not out there eating metaphorical dirt. You know, kids who grow up playing in the dirt don't get asthma. It's the kids who live in clean houses. Even if you have a dog in the house, your kids are less likely to have asthma because the dog's bringing dirt and various weird shit in from outside. So it's very important to deal with that stuff. Anyway, uh, again, I veered off from this email. The point I'm trying to make is that... Uh, there are many ways to cultivate authentic, real people in this world in addition to actually having them yourself. And in fact, I would argue that if your main point is to try to raise consciousness in the world, your energy may be better spent as a teacher or as a, you know, a public defender uh, helping kids, as a social worker, as a writer, uh, you know, there are many, many ways to reach out and provide support and shelter and, uh, you know, communion to young people who are, are looking for answers. Because the thing about, you know, I was going to say authenticity, there are very few young people who aren't authentic. They have to learn to be full of shit. But when they're young, they're looking for answers. And the problem is they become full of shit when they don't find answers or when they, where they don't find adults who are willing to speak to them from the heart. Speaking of heart, let's uh, continue the theme of undermining romantic illusions with a song called Instant Pleasure by Rufus Wainwright.
Rufus, Wainwright singing Instant Pleasure. I was thinking about that Beatles song, uh, I forget what it's called, but it's the one that where I think it's George Harrison is singing, um, I Want Somebody to Love, and in the back they sing, Can it be anybody? And he says, I just want someone to love. No, that's probably Ringo. I think that's Ringo. Anyway, just think about that for a minute. You know, it's what I was saying earlier about the difference between loving someone because of who they are or whom they are, not quite sure in that case, or loving someone because you have a need to love someone. I've talked about this before. I've told the story about my father losing his dog and then getting another dog that he thought was his dog and he loved that dog, but he didn't know it wasn't actually his dog, but he still felt love. You know, it's like is that authentic love? Well, yeah, I guess it's authentic love. I mean, there are people who claim to love their sex dolls, you know, and we laugh at that, but is it any different? I mean, there are people who have pet snakes they love. I love cats. I've had cats I've loved. I cried like a fucking baby when I had to put down a cat one time and like that cat didn't really give a shit about me. I mean, are cats capable of loving? You know, if I were... 120th my normal size that cat would probably kill me for fun it'd probably torture me before it killed me and then here i am weeping because i have you know this cat has to die love is a strange thing is what i'm saying uh anyway another email here this is from andrew it's kind of a related thing also about these kids uh i was hoping you could weigh on with your observations on having a family kids or not uh what have you noticed in your friends that had kids? Uh, how have their relationships turned out? Do you feel that the time you've had to yourself rather than giving it to kids has given you lasting satisfaction, etc., etc.? How many couples you know that have gone through now seem like super happy couples? Mm-hmm. Well, look, I, I'm in... First of all, people I know, that's all anecdotal. So it's not science, right? Anybody knows people and turns out this way or that way. Uh, I think anyone who's been together long enough to have raised kids together is going to have a complicated relationship. Any relationship that's, you know, lasted 20, 30 years is going to have its ups and its downs and its betrayals and its uh, forgiveness and its resentments and its bright spots and its dark spots. So, um, you know, there is no relationship that lasts a long time that is unremittingly wonderful. Uh, And I can only report from my own perspective uh, that, you know, I, I don't, I don't miss having had kids, uh, because I've had a great time. So, and I can't imagine what my life would have been like if I had had kids. So, in, yeah, I know I'm in danger of of <laughs> slipping into exactly what I was uh, ridiculing a few minutes ago with the "I wouldn't change anything because then I wouldn't be me" kind of thing. I'm not saying that the choices I've made have been the best of all possible choices, but they're the choices I made, and and they've led me to the place I'm at now. Um, a friend of mine was has a friend who knows Jack Nicholson. And he was telling me about a conversation with Jack recently. Uh, or I guess Jack lives alone or I'm not sure what his situation is, but they were talking about this and, and he was saying like, yeah, you know, I kind of wish 
in some ways it would be nice to like have a someone you know that I've grown old with and you know whatever but I don't and the thing is in order to have that now I would have had to have not had the last 20 or 30 years of freedom that I really enjoyed so in in some ways you know, there's a there's a price to pay either way you go. And, you know, if you have kids and they're wonderful and they bring you joy and love and then that's wonderful. I have a friend who has five kids and, you know, one day he said to me, we were talking about it and there and he said, man, I go home. I go home after a business trip or whatever and I open the door and I'm just, uh, you know blown I'm just bowled over by a wave of love just all this love comes over me all these kids daddy's home oh everyone's so happy yeah I don't get that that's not in my life uh you know maybe that's why I was so attached to that cat (laughs) but yeah you make your choices you pay your price either way you know there's going to be sacrifice so I think as far as having kids go, the responsibility is to the kids. Do you want to live a life in service to those children? If you do, then beautiful. If you don't, then don't do it. Um, Because their lives really become the top priority uh, or should, um, I think. Not necessarily that you have to sacrifice your happiness because that's not going to make anybody happy. But but your decisions are uh, going to be different from then on. You know, what makes sense for them? You know, look at the Obamas. They're not leaving Washington so one of their daughters can finish high school there. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's cool. I, I think uh, that's the way you sort of have to look at things. Okay. All right. What else do we have here? A serious question from a guy whose name I probably shouldn't use. He's writing from Austin. He's 28 year old, full of hope and energy. Uh, Decent job, average looks, very chill. The only odd thing about me is I've never been in a relationship with anyone or had sex. I'm a total newbie, as they say. I have very good conversational skills, good sense of humor, but I never engage people first. I've been making some changes to my life recently and have decided to give dating a try. As a very experienced and well-traveled individual, can you please give me some advice on how to start? What would be an ideal place to go and meet people around my age? I have almost no friends, so I really have no one to hang out with, let alone ask about this. Anything you could recommend, even some harsh truth, my way would be much appreciated. Okay, well, look, first thing I would like to know is why do you have no friends? If your conversational skills are good, you're a cool guy, you're chill, you're full of hope and energy, why don't you have any friends? That's that's, uh, striking to me. Uh, I think that's something you really need to look at because friends just kind of happen. You know, you don't really need to go looking for him if if you're if you're not if there's not some sort of a problem and you're not moving around all the time, you would have some friends. So I'd want to 
if I were your therapist or your father or your uncle or the next door neighbor that you came to for advice, that's what I, that's where we'd start. Why don't you have friends? What's going on there? Uh, are you an asshole who thinks you're a decent guy? Are you a decent guy who's got some sort of um, hang up that you're not mentioning here in this email? Are you um, perhaps uh, a gay guy who hasn't accepted the fact that he's a gay guy? And that makes it difficult for you to have intimacy with people who are going to see the secret that you haven't shared even with yourself. Um, is there some family tragedy that you're afraid to talk to people about? What is it that's stopping you from being intimate with friends? I think you got to look at that first before you can talk about dating and all that kind of stuff. Um, what is it that's stopping you from having casual friendships? And then beyond that, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to talk beyond that because that's, to me, that's the first thing that needs to be dealt with. But in a sort of general sense, as far as dating goes, I think the key is not to be goal-driven. In other words, uh, not to be... I hate to use a hunting metaphor, but I remember a long time ago reading, reading some some account of uh, American Indians and and um, one of the tricks, and, and I confirmed this with friends of mine who hunt. The thing is you don't look directly at an animal because some, they can feel you looking at them and that alarms them. So when you're stalking an animal, you always sort of look to the side. You know, you, you see it out of your peripheral vision rather than focusing straight on it. I kind of feel like that's how dating is. If you're like, I want to meet a woman and get laid this weekend, you're putting out a certain energy that's going to be repellent to women. Um, whereas if you're like, hey, I just want to make my life more interesting and learn to rock climb... And maybe I'll meet a woman there, but eh, it doesn't really matter, you know. And then you do meet a woman and she's cool and attractive and like, yeah, well, maybe something will come of this or maybe we'll just be friends or whatever. That's got to be the approach. Like, yeah, I'd like that, but I'm not going to freak out if it doesn't turn out the way I want. I think that's got to be the approach to dating. It's got to be sort of a no pressure thing because um, if people are feeling that they're getting sucked into your psychodrama, then they're going to be resistant to that. Um, but anyway, I, yeah, I would take a serious look at my life and say, why don't I have friends? What's going on here? There's something that's stopping uh, this sort of natural development of friendly relationships. Okay, this next song is called Love's Not Enough, keeping with our theme, our anti-Valentine's Day theme. Uh, and this is by a listener who uh, actually we sort of got in touch because she responded to my call out for uh, my buddy Aaron, who's looking for house sitting situations on the West Coast, anywhere on the West Coast. She and her husband had a place and they, they got in touch and turns out Aaron's busy that week, can't take her up on it. But anyway, she's a musician. Her name's uh, Whitney and her musical handle is Music by Wit. Uh, I'll give you her website and all that after the song. Anyway, the song's called Love's Not Enough, and it's uh, by Whitney. Hope you enjoy it. 
Sweet tune, huh? We got some uh, talented listeners on this podcast. So yeah, that's uh, Music by Wit. Uh, let's see, that's her website, musicbywit.com. And her SoundCloud is soundcloud.com forward slash musicbywit. So check her out. She sent me two songs. Uh, Broken Clock is the other one. I'll play that probably in the, in the next uh, regular tangentially speaking. Music by Wit. All right. Thank you, Whitney. Uh, next, moving on. I'm doing, by the way, it's uh, for new listeners. I don't do just like relationship shit every, every Roma. Uh, I'm just doing it because it was Valentine's Day. And, you know, let's all piss on Valentine's Day. By the way, if you're one of those people, you're in a happy relationship and, you know, either on your anniversary or on Valentine's Day or some other excuse, you, you write some sappy, 
since the day I met you, you know, you've been my entire world kind of declaration on Facebook or Facebook or Instagram or wherever. Stop doing that. Don't do that. Nobody gives a shit. Say that directly to the person that you love. You don't have to show everybody else how in love you are. What is that? That is so fucking creepy and weird. It's like, I don't know. It's like, it's like, uh, exhibitionism it's emotional exhibitionism you're you're like you're almost like those creepy dudes with the raincoats like look at me i don't want to look at that i don't give a shit good for you keep it to yourself show some fucking discretion do i sound bitter i don't know i don't think i'm bitter i just think it's it's really cheesy and inappropriate and uh, i hate that word inappropriate inappropriate but i like i feel like you're forcing the rest of us to witness something that, you know, is a private thing. And it should be a private thing. If you invite us to your goddamn wedding, we can say no. But when you just splash that shit on social media, I don't know, it looks desperate and kind of pathetic. I'm just saying, I'm, you know, maybe I'm the only one. Maybe everyone else in the world loves it. I don't know. Ask people. <laughs> See what they say. All right, let's see. I have a long-distance relationship. Not very easy, but I don't mind. I don't feel like marrying and all that. I'm 30. I'm approaching 30. This is from a guy. Uh, And I've already had a taste of married life. Oh, boy. Okay, in any case, I'm in this relationship at the moment. We're not too tightly knit together, but she wants it to be. She practically put a metaphorical ring on it by declaring us a couple well, I try to keep things open and free-flowing, but she's the sweetest girl I've ever met. No drama, no extreme mood swings. She's really the perfect wife, but the feeling, the problem is I feel attracted to other women, and I don't really want to stick with just one. I suppose most men have that feeling every now and then, but with me, it's out of control. When I do, I feel this Christian guilt takeover, as if I'm going to be sent to hell for not being 100% committed and loyal. Okay, with my ex-wife, we had a great sex life, but uh, there was too much drama, whatever. With the current girlfriend, the sex is okay, but it's not great. Uh, Can't really spice it up because she's not into that. She's sweet, calming. I don't know what to do if I feel like uh, if I break up with her, I'll never meet a person like her again. But sexually, I'm not fully satisfied. Um yeah okay so first of all you're approaching 30 so you are certainly not in a situation where you need to find shelter from the storm you uh guys single guys in their 30s not to be cruel and unusual about this but uh your stock goes up in the marriage market um you're you know that sort of your, I don't know, what's the word, mating value in, uh, in evolutionary psychology terms increases, assuming you're not, you know, living in a van down by the river, assuming you have a job and you're a nice guy and, you know, you have friends and you're, you know, you're not setting off alarm bells. Being a single 35, 38, 40-year-old man is not a problem for most women. Uh, there are a lot of divorced women, a lot of single women who would love to hook up with a guy like that. So, I don't feel like you should feel any pressure at all to settle for a situation that you're not totally into uh, at 28 or 29 or whatever you are. Uh, 
You know, for women, there are different considerations involving fertility, having kids and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I would say the same thing to a woman who says, yeah, I'm not really worried about having kids. Then what's the hurry? You know, there's no, there's no rush. Have fun, have friends, you know, have, uh, travel, do, do, do other things and, you know, wait for either a person to come into your life where you and that person both say, wow, I just want to live the rest of my fucking life with you or, you get to a point in life where you say, okay, I've had enough of this single stuff. Uh, I've got a very good sense of, you know, what's available more or less uh, generally. And uh, hey, you know, you and I are good friends. Why don't we just shack up, you know? I think that's, those are the two things that would lead me rationally to say it's probably a good time for you to to start thinking about those commitments doesn't sound like you are in either of those situations. Uh, and so, you know, the assumption underlying a lot of these things is that uh, there's a scarcity of love in the world. And I think this is one of the most pernicious uh, myths that our society uh, inculcates in us this sense that there's never enough. So we have to grab it. We have to take whatever we find. We have to hoard it. We have to hold on to it. We have to protect it from other people. You know, we have to like find a hole and bury it. And that the world is only that way because you think it's that way. In fact, when you stop worrying about it and relax and let things flow in and out of your life, you let people come and go as they please through your life you find that people feel much more comfortable and attracted to you. And then more of them are coming and not as many are going and it becomes a richer experience. Uh, that's my take on these things. So any decision that's made out of fear, oh, I won't ever find anyone this good again, or, oh, I got to like, you know, grab this before she finds someone else, or she, oh, I don't know if she loves me as much as I love her, I better, you know, lock this one down. That's, that's the kind of fear-based decision-making that's going to lead you into a mess. It's not going to make you happy. It's not going to lead to a healthy relationship. So, if you're making a decision out of fear, it's probably the wrong decision. Okay, last one. Hi there. Uh, I heard you say recently that people assume you're a relationship expert. I guess that means you do not identify as such. That's right. I do not identify as such. I'm just answering these questions because people are asking me. I, I don't know. If, if you think my opinion's worth something, I'll give it to you. <laughs> that, that's all I'm saying. But I do not present myself as any sort of relationship expert. Um, Okay, this woman uh, was in a relationship with a married couple. The situation ended, though she still thinks of them fondly. I'm writing now because I recently began to feel chemistry with another couple. Nothing physical has happened, not even romantic, really. At this point, I just have a feeling of bonding and shared interest and an overall peaceful vibe I get around them. I haven't breached the topic with them. This email isn't really even about them. It's about an emotional pattern I'm detecting in myself. I find myself very much enjoying the feeling of being with two people. Not for the sexual aspect. Having two other people feels more stable to me. I'm beginning to wonder if this is becoming a lifestyle choice. Um, 
Have you seen triads work successfully? I'm wondering if there's something to wanting to join an already established custom uh, couple. That's what I seem to fall into. I even like the idea of having three people take care of a child, which frees up time for each adult to have more alone, kid-free time. This recent couple I've been living, I've been jiving with, loves to travel. The woman wants a child. The man doesn't really want to give up their lifestyle. Am I crazy to think a three-parent situation would solve those problems? Uh, recently talks with closed-minded people have me wondering well, if what I really need is therapy. So what do you think, relationship Yoda? <laughs> uh, I think that, that that kind of relationship could work. Sure, it could work. It does work. In Sexaton, we talk about lots of alloparenting situations. We talk about lots of uh, romantic and sexual situations that involve more than two people. Um, I think, you know, there are downsides. As you say, there are upsides. The upsides are that people are freed up. They're, the kid grows up with three people looking after him or her rather than just two or one. Um, you would have financial advantages if you're pooling your incomes uh, you know, it's easier for two people to take off and go on a trip and one person stays behind and takes care of the dogs and the kids and the house and whatever. I mean, there are lots of, definitely lots of advantages to a situation like that. Uh, you could say a three-legged stool is way more stable than a two-legged stool, no doubt about it. On the other hand, with a three-person situation, you've got um, a lot of communication issues that you would have to deal with very, very cleanly and honestly um, because intimacy patterns are going to develop between the different uh, couples, right? You've got three different couples there um, and those relationships are going to develop on different paths at different rates. Uh, they're going to go up and down at different times that can be inconvenient. So if, you know, two people start talking shit about the third person, you're going to have troubles. And that kind of thing can happen very easily if you don't have very, um, I don't want to say strict because it's not about strict. You, you have to have three people who really have their shit together and who are very decent, authentic people who aren't going to play those kinds of head games. And there aren't a lot of people who are that evolved. But if you three are that evolved, then, hey, maybe it can work. And, and look, as I said earlier, it's like we have to compare apples to apples here. A lot of open relationships don't work. A lot of triad relationships don't work. A lot of fucking conventional relationships don't work. So... You know, people saying, oh, that could never work. Well, what the hell do they know? You know, first of all, does anything ever work, uh, you know, long term, the way they're envisioning it? And secondly, uh, people who do have those sorts of relationships don't talk about them very much because there's so much stigmatization, uh, stigma associated with unconventional family situations. If you say you've got a three parent family uh, you could have uh, social services knocking on your door, taking the kids away. So you've got some, there are a lot of reasons not to talk openly about unconventional uh, households, 
in the United States. So, yeah, I would um, I would say the the chances of success are much more based upon three people who are involved in that situation than they are, um, you know, any sort of anecdotal information people are laying out. So that's my feeling. If it works, it would be wonderful. But you do have the danger, especially when you're talking about a pre-established couple like that. You know, if things get weird, uh, you're the one who's going to be probably expelled from the group. So, you know, they've got their thing, especially if they're going to have the child, you know, um, to what extent you're really integrated into that versus someone who's hanging out for a while and, you know, maybe that ends at some point. I don't know that. Uh, that's something that you guys would have to really work out, but I can see how that is a vulnerability. Okay. I've been going almost an hour, so I'm just going to wrap this up now. Thank you so much uh, for listening to this and telling your friends about the podcast. If you don't want to listen to me yammering on, just uh, don't download the, the episodes that are marked Toma or Roma. Just download the, the normal ones. They come out weekly. Um, I think I've had I've recorded some really wonderful conversations recently. Moshe Kasher um, uh, had a great conversation with him the other day. Uh, I did uh, one with Neil Strauss and his nanny, the woman talk about allo parenting, a woman uh, who who raised him since he was a little kid. She was in town visiting, so she sat in and we talked with her a bit. Um, the really interesting woman, Marg, wonderful woman. Uh, let's see who else I've got. Oh, uh, Hunter Moss, uh, had a great conversation with him the other day. He's the co-host of the Brian Callen uh, podcast. Very cool guy. Very smart. Grew up all over the world. Um, very thoughtful guy. Uh, and, uh, what else tomorrow? I'm uh, going to record a conversation with Michael Shermer, famous science writer, skeptic, Ted, uh, presentation giver fascinating guy. So lots of uh, interesting conversations coming soon on Tangentially Speaking. And I'm going to end this with another love song. Now this one, I've talked about this a long time ago now, but this is, um, it's called Hey Ya, originally by Outkast. But this is a cover version sung by a dude named Obadiah Parker, who's based in Colorado, I think. Uh, and he was sort of this unknown guy, played in bars, and he did this cover of Hey Ya, and it went up on YouTube, and it went like platinum viral, and now he's become quite well known. He's released some albums. Um, uh, my buddy Aaron, <laughs> just going to call her my buddy for now. My buddy Aaron um, turned me on to some more of his music. I, apparently she met him at a bar and I don't remember the whole story. Anyway, this is his cover of Hey Ya. And the beauty of this cover, and I think the reason it, it went so viral is that when you listen to the original version of the song, if you don't closely listen to the lyrics, I mean, I had listened to the song for probably a year before I had it in headphones one day. I was walking down the street and I was really focused on the lyrics and I realized this song is not at all what it sounds like. Because you listen to it, and for those of you who don't know, it's the song like Shake It Like a Polaroid Picture, you know. You know the song, you've heard it. It was playing everywhere a few years ago. It sounds like a really happy, upbeat, 
love song. Listen to the lyrics. It's not happy. It's not upbeat. It's a song about how difficult relationships are. It's a song about how young people today don't know how. If what they say is nothing lasts forever, then what makes, then what makes, then what makes love the exception? Oh, why, oh, why are we so in denial when we know we're not happy here? Yeah, listen to the lyrics. This is Obadiah Parker singing the outcast song, Hey Ya. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you down the road. around because she loves me so unless I know for sure and but does she really wanna but can't stand to see me walk out the door I can't stand to fight the feeling cause the thought alone is killing me right now God for mom and dad for sticking two together cause we don't know Just don't get it till there's nothing at all You get together, oh, we get together But separate's always better when there's feelings involved If what they say that nothing is forever Oh, the one makes, the one makes, the one makes The one makes, one makes love the exceptions Oh, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why Are we so in denial when we know we're not happy here Shake it, shake it.